Chapter Twelve of the Great Secret by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com. Chapter Twelve: Old Friends. A flavor of unreality hung about the events of the last few days. I felt myself slowly waking, as though from a nightmare. The dazzling sunshine was everywhere around us. The whir of reaping machines, the slighter humming of bees, and the song of birds were in our ears. The perfume of all manner of flowers and of the new-mown hay made the air wonderfully sweet. My guest, in a cool gray flannel suit and a Panama hat, was by my side, looking like a man who has taken a new lease of life. He had patted my shire horses and admired those of my hunters which were on view. He had walked three times round my walled garden and amazed my head gardener by his intimate acquaintance with the science of pruning. We had talked country talk and nothing else. From the moment when, somewhat to my surprise, he had appeared upon the terrace just as I was finishing my after-breakfast pipe, no word of any more serious subject had passed our lips. We had talked and passed the time very much as any other host and guest the first morning in a quiet country house. We were standing now upon a little knoll in the park, and I was pointing out my dear. He looked beyond to where the turrets and chimneys of a large gray stone house were half visible through the trees. "'Who is your neighbor?' he asked. "'Lord Dennisford,' I answered. "'A very decent fellow, too, although I don't see much of him. He spends most of his time abroad.' "'Lord Dennisford.' I turned to look at my companion. He had repeated the name very softly, yet with a peculiar intonation which made me at once aware that the name was of interest to him. "'Yes, do you know him?' I asked inanely. "'Is his wife here?' he asked. "'Lady Dennisford is seldom away,' I answered. "'She entertains a good deal down here, a very popular woman in the county.' He seemed to be measuring the distance across the park with his eyes. "'Let us go across and see her,' he said. I looked at him doubtfully. "'Can you walk as far?' I asked. He nodded. "'Yes, I have my stick, and if necessary you can help me.' So we set out across the park. I asked him no questions. He told me nothing. But when we had crossed the road and were on our way up to the avenue to Dennisford House, he clutched at my arm. "'I want to see her alone,' he muttered. "'I will see what I can do,' I answered. "'Lady Dennisford and I are old friends.' we reached the great sweep in front of the house. I pointed to the terrace on which were several wicker chairs. The windows from the drawing-room where I shall probably see Lady Dennisford open out there, I remarked. If you could give me any message which would interest her, perhaps. Tell her, he muttered, that you have a guest who walked with her once under the orange trees at Seville, and who in a few days will walk no more anywhere. She will come." He made his way along the terrace, leaning heavily upon his stick, and sank with a little sigh of relief into one of the cushion-laden wicker chairs. I watched him lean back with half-closed eyes, and I realized then what an effort this walk must have been to him. Before me the great front door stood open, and, with the familiarity of close neighborship, I passed into the cool-shaded hall with its palms and flowers, its billiard-table invitingly uncovered its tiny fountain playing in its marble basin. There was no one in sight, but stretched upon a bright crimson cushion 
set back in the heart of a great easy chair, was a small Japanese spaniel. Our recognition was mutual. The dog rose slowly to his haunches and sat there looking at me. His apple-green bow had wandered to the side of his neck, and one ear was turned back. Yet notwithstanding the fact that his appearance was so far grotesque, I felt no inclinations whatever towards mirth. His coal-black eyes were fixed upon me steadfastly. His tiny wrinkled face seemed like the shriveled and age-worn caricature of some eastern magician. He showed no signs of pleasure or of welcome at my coming, nor did he share any of the bewilderment with which I gazed at him. But for the absurdity of the thing, I should have said that he had been sitting there waiting for me. While I stood there dumbfounded, not so much in wonder at this meeting with the dog, but amazed beyond measure at the things which his presence there seemed to indicate, he descended carefully from his chair, and crossing the smooth oak-laid floor, he made his way to the foot of the great staircase, and after a premonitory yawn, he indulged in one sharp penetrating bark. Almost immediately the French maid came gliding down the stairs, still gowned in the somberest black, still as pale as a woman could be. The dog looked at her, and looked at me. Then, apparently conceiving that his duty was finished, he returned to his chair and curled himself up. I spoke to the maid. "'Is your mistress staying here?' I asked. "'But yes, monsieur,' she answered. "'We arrived yesterday.' "'Is she in now?' I asked. "'Could I see her?' "'I will inquire,' the maid answered. "'Mademoiselle is in her room.' She turned and left me, and almost immediately the butler entered the hall. He was one of the local cricket eleven, and had been in service in the neighborhood all his life, so he knew me well and greeted me at once with respectful interest. "'Is her ladyship in, Murray?' I asked. "'I believe so, sir,' he answered. "'Will you come into the drawing-room?' I followed him into Lady Dennisford's presence. She was writing letters in a small sanctum leading out of the drawing-room, and she looked round and nodded a cheery greeting to me. "'In one moment, Hardross,' she exclaimed, "'I've just finished.' I had known Lady Dennisford all my life, but I found myself studying her now with altogether a new interest. She was a slim, elegant woman, pale and perhaps a little insipid-looking at ordinary times, but a famous and reckless rider to hounds and an enthusiastic sportswoman. She was one of the few women concerning whom I had never heard a single breath of scandal, notwithstanding her husband's long and frequent absences. She gave me little time, however, to revise my impressions of her, for with a little spluttering of her pen she finished her letter and came towards me. I hope you've come to lunch, she remarked. I have the most delightful young person staying with me. You'll be charmed with her. A young lady, I remarked. Yes, an American girl who talks English and doesn't enthuse. Seems to know something about horses, too. Where did you discover this paragon? I asked. My cousin sent her down. She knows everybody, Lady Dennisford answered. I met her at lunch last week, and she spoke of hunting with the Pitchley next season. She's going to have a look at the country. Sorry the rain spoilt your match. I hesitated for a moment. Lady Dennisford, I said, I had a particular reason for coming to see you this morning. She raised her eyebrows. My dear Jim! I, too, have a visitor, I told her. Rather a more mysterious person than yours seems to be. He is very ill indeed, and he is almost a stranger to me. But he was once, I believe, 
a friend of yours a friend of mine she repeated how interesting do tell me his name i cannot do that i answered because i do not know it not his real name but in the park this morning i happened to tell him who lived here and although he is very weak he insisted upon paying you an immediate visit she looked around the room but where is he she asked he is outside on the terrace i answered my dear jim she exclaimed really all this mystery isn't like you aren't you overdoing it a little do call your friend in and let me see who he is lady dennisford i said of course my guest may have misled me but he seemed to think that an abrupt meeting might be undesirable he wished me to tell you that he used once to walk with you under the orange trees of seville and to ask you to go out to him alone lady dennisford sat quite still for several seconds her eyes were fixed upon me but i am quite certain that i had passed from within the orbit of her vision the things which she saw were of another world somehow it seemed sacrilege on my part to dream of peering even into the dimmest corner of it so i looked away and i could never tell altogether what effect my words had had upon her for when i looked up she was gone End of chapter twelve recording by tom weiss tom's audiobooks dot com